0: so good to be all back together. This is my first time to get to preach to all of us in one room since we went back from two services. And again, just appreciate all of the accommodations that so many of you have made. Uh, as we've gone through this COVID and continue to make. So I am excited, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, to introduce you to a new teaching series that we're going to be digging into starting next week. And appreciate the praise team taking us to the throne room of Jesus, because this series is going to be on the kingdom. And so let me just tease you with this much, okay? So we... What do you think of when you hear the word kingdom? Like in your modern sensibilities, not necessarily as a Christian. I typically think of a place like land, territory, that has a specific border over which a king rules. That is our normal earthbound thought and imagination when we hear the word kingdom. And that's important to recognize because I have now read every entry in Scripture that has the word kingdom in preparation for this series. And that is not what the biblical authors are thinking of and imagining when they use the word. And I know this is horribly inconvenient. Why can't Scripture just pick words that mean what we already naturally think of when they say them? It's, it's inconvenient. But as inconvenient as it is, it's still important for us to know what they mean when they use the word right, and it's used in the New Testament. I'm talking about the New Testament specifically. It's used like 166 times, if my count is right. Over a hundred of those are from Jesus Himself, and what they're imagining is very, very different. And that's Im- important for us to figure that out because. When the Bible uses that, we don't want to import what we imagine when we hear the Word into what we're reading, and we quite naturally do that. That will steal, at worst, diminish at best uh, what it is that we have in the message of Scripture. And so we're going to be looking into that, okay? So if the kingdom, and, and one more little interesting tidbit, you'll hear kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of light, kingdom of Jesus, or just the kingdom. They all are interchangeable in Scripture, I found out. People smarter than me have told me that. So, but when you hear the kingdom, if it's not a matter of a place right? If it's not a matter of a place, then what is the kingdom a matter of? Enter Paul in Romans 14, where he says that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of my sermon. I'm using that text as my sermon outline, really, and I'm really excited. You've heard me quote this verse a lot, but I've never had the opportunity. I've never taken the opportunity to really dig in, and so I'm excited about that. So join us next week, okay, and invite your friends. Listen, if, you, if your normal daily experience, like the baseline experience, with, of course, variations depending on what happens in your circumstances, but if your normal isn't peace, if your normal daily posture typically isn't joy, if your normal average posture, especially if you're a Christian, isn't righteousness, that is a feeling of rightness between you and God, and a feeling of rightness between you and people in the world. I've got some great news for you. When it says the kingdom is yours, and that the Father wants to give you the kingdom, there is more of Jesus as your king for you to experience. That's the good news, and that's what we're going to be talking about over these next weeks. But this week, today's teaching is inspired by Mother's Day. And so let me start by wishing everyone a happy Mother's Day. And I do mean everyone, okay? So while not all of us in here are moms, we all have one, okay? Now, before we get into that, I want to just pause here. And it's important to remember, just like all holidays... Mother's Day, for some people, can be a really bittersweet time for a variety of reasons. And for some, it's even more bitter than sweet. Okay, and I just want to honor that. There are moms who want or wanted children and just haven't or uh, couldn't have those children. There's moms who've lost a child too soon. Any mom who's lost a child at any age lost that child too soon, of course. There's moms who've whose children have broken their hearts for one reason or another. And so today is is kind of tough from that side. And from the other side, there's children who've lost their moms. Some of you recently. There's uh, children who moms, whose moms were so wounded that they wounded them in some significant way as well. And so I just want to honor all of that and say... And just, and just say, those things are anything. I just want to honor that, that that is entirely appropriate for today to be a hard day, and I want to honor that today is a day, it's normal that those things come rushing to the surface, and there might be a part of you that just wants to get through this day and, and make it. So with full measure of compassion for that, I want to bring your attention to <clears throat> moms, and elevate to the rightful place moms. And I, and I don't just mean moms with physical children. I do mean that, but even more, I just mean the, what I'm calling today at least the motherly spirit, motherhood that has been placed in women. And and that that whole part of the image of God I want to talk about today. Um, When you go through the New Testament, it's Paul who does this the most. He's the one that really champions and doesn't seem to ever forget that there are moms. And and that motherhood and that motherly spirit, he even mentions many times, not just moms, but the motherly spirit... Uh, is so important in the transmission of faith. And unless you're looking for it, and usually you're not, you're studying the Bible for some other reason, you might just skip right over it and not see it. But when you're looking for it, and I was for Mother's Day, you find it everywhere. So, so here's an example of that. Paul, he's writing a letter to this little power pack minister that's kind of up and coming in the kingdom he's been pouring himself into this guy his faith is really strong he's he's really being used by God with his gifts to advance the church in a pretty difficult circumstance and so it's his second letter Paul's writing the second letter to this guy Timothy and he says this he says I've been reminded Timothy of your sincere faith and he doesn't stop there he could have but he can't help it it's like he knows where that faith, at least partially in part, has come from. And so he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, with faith which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am now persuaded now lives in you. Isn't that interesting that he throws this in? In Holy Spirit-inspired scripture, this has been recorded for all time. It's not his dad. It's not his granddad. It's this faith that he's honoring in Timothy has come. Like for so many of us, it is the motherly and grandmotherly spirit through which this has come. And so if, if Paul thinks it worthwhile to shout out and you know, exalt praiseworthy service of these ladies, I think it's appropriate for us to as well. And of course, this is a biological thing here, but just to prove to you my point that that motherhood spirit, that mothering spirit doesn't have to come through biologically. Uh, It's over in Romans, another one that I hadn't noticed before, at least made reference to. It's in Romans chapter 16. He's writing, the church in Rome and he is at that place where he, as is his habit, in his letters, you'll see, he, he shouts out to certain people, hey, while you're getting this super powerful, important thing, uh, give a little shout out to so-and-so, and hey, tell so-and-so that I love him, and you know, he's doing all that. So this is one of those greetings. He says uh, to a guy named Rufus, he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother. And what comes next will bring a tear into your eye for, if you let it, you know, he says, who has been a mother to me too. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, this, this unnamed lady was a mothering figure to the great apostle Paul. Paul, who is still making disciples of Jesus today, with us today, and in my next series, is based on her adopted son's uh book and a little verse from his his letter. I mean, this is it, and this is so interesting that so we. We, we think we know who Rufus is. Scholars, most scholars think this Rufus is the brother of a guy named Alexander. This is just kind of fun. Brother of a guy named Alexander and they are the sons of a guy named Simon of Cyrene. Do you remember who that is? When you don't hear it in context, a lot of people don't remember who he is. Simon of Cyrene is the guy that the Roman soldiers forced to carry the cross of Jesus when Jesus, with the blood loss and everything, had, had collapsed under the weight of the cross. This is the guy, the random guy that was picked out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus on that last leg of that painful journey of Jesus to Golgotha. That is just so interesting to me that it's his wife, that is a mothering presence in the apostle Paul's life. Now I'm totally making this up, okay, this isn't scriptural, but this would be such a God thing that, that somewhere along the way that Paul became friends with Alexander and Rufus and was over at their house and maybe before he was a convert. He was a good Jewish student and Jewish boy. Paul never mentions his own mom, but he mentions his their mom. So they've got some special relationship. We cannot know the circumstances. We cannot know I'm making this up. But let's imagine it was before he converted to Christ and then after he converted to Christ, he went back to this mom who, whose life was probably changed by her husband, whose life was changed by his encounter with Jesus. He might have learned about the last hours of his new Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from this lady. Totally making that up. It would be a total God thing to do. I'll check it out when I get there. But bottom line, so we don't know the circumstances, but we do know that this woman was a motherly figure to, I think I can say this safely, the most impactful Christian convert in the history of the church. This lady and the holy spirit reserved that for us. That's just amazing to me. Moms and specifically this motherly spirit is so vital. We see it in scripture, but most of you don't even that are Christians don't even have to go beyond your mom, okay, to know that they are vital in the transmission of faith. Aren't they? And it's more than that. They are not just vital in the transmission of faith, but they are vital in the whole call of Christ. They they are key figures. I don't even want to imagine trying to be a church without this motherly spirit. They are the ones that deliver and maintain love unlike any other force on the planet. And I really believe that and see that. I don't even want to imagine trying to do anything resembling what Christ calls us to as his church without that mothering spirit. Love, And so the word that I just, as I was thinking about this and that just kept coming back to me and I decided I just got to put it in and talk about it is fierce. There is a fierceness to a mom's love, the motherly love that I cannot think of an illustration that matches it. There, there, it, it is a fierce love. And so that got me thinking to back, to, to back to my mom and some of the scenes from my life where I witnessed this fierce motherly love firsthand on my behalf. And I naturally go to uh, some of the more dramatic and tragic moments in my life where she showed up and her love showed up on behalf of her kids and she... Loved, introduced and maintained love in just a spectacular way, bringing justice as much as it was in her power to do for her children. And so I go to that, and I was going into Craig, my brother. He also, for those of you who don't know, he works here as well. And I was talking to him about some of these, and he instantly remembered a scene that's a little bit lighter, but still really powerfully captures what I'm talking about here. And so Craig put himself out there as a uh, middle school student and he was running for treasurer for his class. If you know Craig, that's that's probably not his normal thing, but he he decided he was going to do it. And so we're in that week of middle school where we put up all the posters and we're campaigning and we're doing all that. And it was the week of the election and he goes to PE class and in PE class we always went to our gym and we lined up in lines and then the coach can tell us what to do this powerful coach at our middle school gets up in class Craig's in the class and so is the young man that he's running against and this coach all but tells everyone that they must vote for the other kid he's, he's in there and he just says he starts talking about his, him saying you should vote for him and he, he, probably, he probably just didn't even know Craig was in the room but it doesn't matter right So Craig, you know, is disturbed by this. He goes through his day, he goes home, says hi to his mom, goes into his room, and he remembers his mom comes in the room. She noticed, she noticed something's up. And he remembers her sitting on the bed and digging it out of him. And so he finally shares what's kind of bothering him and and she's great. She lovingly just nurtures him, says, I'm sorry that happened, it's okay. Next thing Craig knows is the next day in PE class. The principal, his name, get this, is Mr. King. Okay, so the king comes in the class and in no uncertain terms stands in front of this coach and lets this class know that you don't let anyone tell you who to vote for. You vote for who you want to vote for. No one gets to say who you vote for. Fierce motherly love does that. Fierce motherly love notices when something's wrong. Fierce motherly love, more than any force I know, makes it her business to find out what the problem is. And then fierce motherly love makes things happen that are good, that are better, that addresses injustice. It's the motherly love that does that as much as anything I know. So I often find myself, in almost any every series, I find myself, y'all just take note of this. Check me on this. I, at some point, always go back to the beginning of our story in Genesis to kind of orient us to what... It, it's, just, it's just some always in those first three chapters that seems to orient us and apply to whatever thing I'm teaching of. I guess that's how it should be. And so the same is true today. I went back, of course, to we all know, if we're Christians, we know... It's common for us to know that one of the special things about humanity is we were created in the image of God. But today, I wanted to point out that oftentimes we don't think about, we know it's there, maybe, but we don't think about that at the beginning, God actually tells us a little bit of detail about how he packages his image into us. And it's in Genesis one twenty-seven. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. This is so important. God, when he packaged his image into mankind, he packaged it into two packages, the male and the female. He didn't like, he didn't like create man in his image and then he created woman just to help out his image. He didn't do that. God and we have our reasons for this, but we focus more on the fatherly and paternal aspects of God. Okay, Scripture most often uses the him pronoun and calls him father, and that's not wrong, but we need to remember God is not a man. God is God. He's other than. Now, half of his image is packed into man, but he's not a man. Now, God is not a woman either, but half of his image is, is packed into the woman, that is how he packaged his image to the world. And if we don't recognize that, we miss out on half of who God has revealed himself to be. Right here before our eyes, right in our relationships, right here in this church, right here on the earth. The motherly, the fierce motherly love that I can see in my mom and in the motherly spirit is the image of God being revealed to us. And I see no match in any man. I see no love that matches that, in my opinion. And so this is so important. And so it's, it's okay for us to think of God in, as a paternal figure, and it's right to think of him as a father, so long as we don't limit him and confine him to that earthly thing that God uses to explain how he is to us. We can't confine. We can't limit him there. We can't create a border around that. There's more to him. And besides, if God were a man or just masculine, then scripture is confused. It is messed up because scripture often goes through and exhibits and shows us the love of God with female and specifically mothering So Isaiah is probably the Old Testament's Paul. He's the one that does it the most. He almost prefers the motherly love to explain God. And so Isaiah 42, it says this. For a long time, this is God talking. For a long time I've kept silent. I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. There is nothing more. Motherly, nothing more female on earth than birth childbirth. And that's what Isaiah uses to explain God's feeling as he's trying to bring about life among his people. A few page over pages over in Isaiah forty nine, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you, declares the Lord. He captures that. That powerful loving compassion of a mom at the tenderest point of a child's upbringing and he says even though a human mom can falter and stumble that motherly love in me that she's exhibiting never falters it's never gone it is always there you will always have it it is undeterrable few pages over Isaiah 66 for this is what the Lord says as a mother comforts her child so will I Comfort you. Okay? Isn't this powerful when you look at it? Thank you, moms. Thank you for representing this image of God. Y'all have heard the phrase sometimes the whole uh the bear analogy, you know, mama bear. I've heard women use it positively, say, Do you do not want to see mama bear show up? You know, and, and I've heard some men use it kind of almost as a slight, but did you know that came from scripture? It was Hosea listen to this. Tell me this isn't a fierce love in God. Hosea 13, like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them apart. That is is fierce. You do not mess with the kids of a mom. You don't do that. And that comes straight from the heart of God. Of course, Jesus, he's, he's not going to be left out of this. He's the full image of God in bodily form, and he's thinking about his mission, and he's looking at Jerusalem, what he, how he wished this whole story was going, and he says, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. So clearly today, I want to honor that motherly spirit in all of you ladies and those of you who are moms. I want to honor you, but I'm hijacking a little, a little bit here to address something that I think is really relevant in our day and age. I'm, I'm wanting to exalt to you theologically. I want to address and elevate a couple of things that at least elements in our culture are working hard to diminish and slight, if not completely erase in some instances, okay? And that's gender and motherhood. We have some elements in our society that want to minimize motherhood and, and make it out to be easier than it really is, and it, it for sure can't be a full-time job. Not, not everyone in our culture is doing that, but some are. And gender, it's, it's kind of confused and, and erased. Theologically, I'm wanting us to see our story and how we intersect with that in our culture. Now, I want to be careful here because as Christians... We do not get just—we do not just get to rage at the elements in our culture that are fighting and promoting this. We don't get to do that. Why? Because we're Christians. We don't get to think, or speak, or post what we think is true, even if we're right, in an unChrist-like way. That is wrong. We don't get to just roll our eyes and hate elements and people in our culture who are compromising and pushing agendas that don't align with our theological beliefs. We don't get to do that. Even when we're standing up for what we feel like is truth, if we do that in an unloving way, then it ceases to be biblical truth. You're just right, at best, but you're wrong. Biblically, on the flip side, we also do not get to acquiesce to culture. We don't get to acquiesce to what culture is promoting or trying to do to motherhood and gender simply because we want to be seen and we're trying to be compassionate or because they do have a point. In what they're doing. Or we don't want to be called something that we know we're not. Or we're feeling guilty for some legalistic past that we have had. Or our forebears have had. And we don't want to be an associate anywhere close to that. So we don't get to acquiesce in the name of love. Compromising biblical truth. If we love and we compromise what our story tells us is true. Then it ceases to be love. Biblically. And no one in here is allowed to only hear one of those speeches and agree. Not if you're going to be Christian in the culture we're in. We have to be humble about this. And strong about this. We need to be truthful and loving. We need to come off as loving and truthful. Truth is not truth without love and love is not love without truth. And we are the ones that are supposed to be demonstrating the posture and attitude of God as we address these legitimately confusing and difficult things. And so I felt like that came out of me as I was talking about our moms, and it's so important for us to do that. So let me elevate these these two things that I feel like Culture is attacking, trying to diminish gender and motherhood. Let me elevate it in a new way to me that I hadn't thought of until I read about this from an author. And, uh, and of course, it's, it, it's, this may be the most elevating of gender and of women and of motherhood that I've ever seen. And, of course, it comes from the story of God as he's told it, specifically his salvation plan. So when, God, I appreciate Rick bringing us to think about Mary, Jesus' mother, and her experience of this. But now I want you to take it to heaven. When, when God decides it's time, it's time. Time has fully come, and I'm going to deliver salvation to the people. When he, I imagine, he could have done it any way he wanted. He delivered salvation through a womb of a woman. And he nurtured salvation through the fierce love of motherhood. It was that side of his image that he decided to initiate the plan of salvation through. When he could have done it however he wanted. Paul, of course, points this out. Galatians 4, he says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. It could have ended there. And it could have, the next phrase could have been anything God wanted. I think he's more creative than me, and I bet you he could have come up with lots of ways to do it effectively. But he did it born of a woman. God sent his son, and his strategy to do so was born of a woman. And I want you to think about that longer. I'm making you think about that longer than you ever have, probably. I want you to think about that for a minute. He could have done it however he wanted, and this is the way he decided to do it. And back to the culture thing we live in a culture that doesn't just diminish and confuse gender and and diminish and almost erase motherhood as important but he also our culture elevates sex right to to heights untold we worship it we sell cars with it we i mean we do all kinds of stuff with that we elevate sex And so God, in his plan of salvation, do you think it was an accident that he bypassed sex and elevated gender and motherhood? That he does the exact opposite of the culture that we are in right now. He didn't have to. It didn't have to be born of a virgin Mary. Right? He didn't have to do that, but that's what he did. He bypassed what he knew culture would idolize and he elevates what culture oftentimes minimizes that's women, motherhood, pregnancy. It's all honored in the salvation story of God as opposed to our culture. I think this is important. Moms and motherhood, this mothering spirit that's been placed into human race as an expression of his image, it's, it's unmatchable. This unmatchable, irreplaceable, feminine, loving, fierceness of motherhood should be on, by honored by us. Not, not just for all kinds of practical reasons, but for us as believers, because God does. In nothing short of the incarnation of God into the world, he honors it. God used the womb for the salvation plan for the human race. So for all of you moms and for all of you women who contain And deliver the motherliness of God. Just like God does in the incarnation. We join him in honoring you. And thanking you. And wish you a happy Mother's Day so here's what I want to do next just to finish up I want everybody to go ahead and stand up here we're going to sing our elders and their spouses and and families can go ahead and make your move around the room they're going to move around the room and go out in the foyer and outside to greet you and if you're just needing anything today a special prayer or want to know more about this whole Jesus thing that's, that's what they make this awkward walk for just to let you know we're here for you we want to be with you we're just like you and we're pursuing the best possible life that we believe Jesus came to but we're going to sing a song and as you're listening to this song, I want you to really listen to what you're singing. You're gonna be singing it to God, about God, about his, the amazingness of his love, that his, the, the, the un, of his unfailing love and grace. Okay, you're gonna be singing that. But as you sing these qualities and listen to the words that this author put in these songs, I want you to be thinking of the motherly side of God's image because it's really captured by several phrases in this song. And so moms, we're not singing to you, we're singing to God, but we are singing of attributes that are his and yours. And so, Dul, do, Dol, do, if you'll come up and, and lead us in this song, and if we can help you in any way, please come.